0: Hopefully, you uh, picked up a handout uh, when you came inside. So, if you would do me a favor, if you'd open that up into the top left hand side, uh, you're going to see our Hope Initiative. Again, our desire is to build to plant three churches in the next five years. And uh, the truth is, we know that uh, new churches often will reach people for Christ, that existing churches cannot. We just want to bring the hope of Christ to as many people in central Ohio as we possibly can. Um, Dan Stover is going to begin meeting today, uh, our Multiplication Gathering, so it's going to take place at 11.30 in the venue, so as soon as this service is over with, again, you'd be, you could, if you'd like, be able to go up there. If you have any questions at all about what does this honestly mean, what's it look like, what's the target location or locations, and you just simply want to be able to get some questions answered, and I promise you, uh, Dan's got a presentation homework that we've already done, research in regards to Central Ohio and the statistics in regards to people. And so, I, I, it, I think it'd be really, really helpful if you're curious in any way about what this means. Plus, it's just a time of prayer to ask God again. I mean, God, we just are asking you to lead us in the direction we're supposed to go and how we can reach people. So, this will happen every week except Easter. Every week, <laughs> 1130, in the venue, it would be a great way to be able to get all your questions answered in regards to um, our, our HOPE initiative. I want to tell you a story so it 's a personal story. Um, actually, I think it 's a pretty funny story because it happened to me, but uh, here's, here it is. But I live in Sunbury, Sunbury, Ohio, and uh, we have a little subdivision, and uh, I like to run around that division and walk around that division so i 've been doing that for quite some time, and so it was several years ago. it was in the summertime. Um, it was hot out a lot during the day, it was in August, and so I just waited later on. It was about 10 o'clock at night, and I was like, I just think I'm going to go out for a walk. And so, I'm walking around my neighborhood, and I'm going down Prairie Run, I'll go up Dewfall, then I get onto this Miller Drive as I'm on Miller Drive, I'm walking on the sidewalk, and uh, not really thinking about anything particular, just walking, and there's light poles, you know, light poles that are all around the sidewalks and stuff, you've seen that probably in your subdivision. And there's this one there, and I see it, uh, it's right there, and what what I don't know is that a spider has, uh, uh, you know, started a cobweb, and it is going straight down from that pole across the sidewalk, and it attached it to the bottom of a white picket fence, and so, it is right there, it's there, but I cannot see it at all. I have no idea it's there, I'm not thinking about it at all, I don't really have my head up, you know, I'm just kind of walking along, no big deal. And uh, so, just, just making my way, and so I'm getting a little closer, and getting a little closer to the, to the pole. And finally, I get right there, and wham! I run right into that cobweb, right. and it hits me right in the forehead. I mean, I literally walk right into it, and it covers my glasses, my head, my ears, you know. And again, it's hot. And so, it's like sticks like glue. And so, truly the only thing I can think of at that moment is I want this thing off. I want it off. So, I start doing this. I start going like this, ah, like that. And you know what I did? At that moment when I did that, I literally launched my glasses off my face, <laughs> which was not the intention at all. It's like I just want it off. And I, I, you may not know, but I mean, literally, I, I'm pretty much blind. I was like, I can't even, honestly, it's a blur right here. I can only see things really up close. So, if like we're at the pool and you wave at me and we're not close, I will not know who you are because I, <laughs> I, I cannot see you at all. I cannot. So, I'm like, it's impossible. So, I launch my glasses off my face and I have no idea where they, where they went. I'm kind of hoping they hit the sidewalk, but then I don't want them to hit the sidewalk and scratch them up. But I know they're either on the sidewalk or in the grass, and I can't find them. They're in the grass. They're in the grass. So now I'm looking for my glasses without my glasses. <laughs> and I'm looking and looking and looking. I'm serious. I bet 15, 20 minutes go by, and I'm like on my hands and knees, literally crawling around, trying to make, can't find them. So, I go home. I walk home. I go in the house. I go upstairs. I get my spare pair of glasses, put them on. I get a flashlight and I walk back out, walk back up to the top. And So, then I got the flashlight and I'm looking around, looking around. takes me another 15, 20 minutes before I find my glasses. And lo and behold, there they are. They're in this tall grass. I pick them up, fold them up, put them in my pocket. And I walk home and I'm grumbling the whole time. Spiderwebs. Hate spiderwebs. Hate spiderwebs. It's ridiculous. And here, what's what's interesting is apparently I'm not the only one that hates spider webs. (laughs) Apparently, so does Gary Thomas. Gary Thomas wrote a marriage book. It's this book. I referenced it last week. It's this book called A Lifelong Love. And in Gary's book, he makes this comment. It's like in chapter 15. So, Gary says this. I hate the concept of a spider web, the product of an insect, not to correct Gary, but I think spiders are arachnids, something like that, all right, Uh, (laughs) that literally seeks to trap passersby pulling them into its own world in order to consume them. Some spouses are like that. They construct marital webs by attracting spouses they think will meet their needs. They feed off their spouses whenever they're hungry for approval, sex, support, or finances. Spiders don't give to anyone. They spend their lives creating traps and feeding off anything they catch. Now, I would guess nearly every single person in this room has heard of Spider-Man, you know, the web-slinger. Without a doubt, we've heard him. But has anyone ever heard of a spider spouse? it's like, what is a spider spouse? It is typically a person that takes and rarely gives. So, I started this series last week called Marriage Drift. Marriage Drift. Drift means to be slowly carried away. And marriage drift means to be slowly carried away from the one who said, I do. And so, the question is like, Why? Why do these things happen? Well, a lot of times it happens because you either have one or both spouses where we really like to take, and we rarely give. I really want to answer one question today in this message, and this this question's pretty deep on some things, but one question I'd like us to look at, and here's the question. Why does anyone get married? Why do we get married in this life? And, and, get, and marriage is awesome. It's great. Again, no doubt on that. But why does anyone get married? And if you and I were to really dig down deep, if we were to be truthful about this, I think a lot of times we'd say, a lot of times we get married for selfish reasons. We kind of get married because of, you know, this is how it's going to benefit me. I'll give you some examples. Like this person said, I couldn't wait any longer to have sex. And she was willing to marry me. So I married her. This other another person. He said he would work hard to put me through med school. So I married him. It's like he, he seemed like he'd be a good dad. My kids needed a dad. So I married him. It's like, and then this one. I couldn't stand living with my parents anymore. She was my motivation to get out. That one's kind of good. You know, it's like. But again, there's reasons. There are reasons, but some of those, a lot of those reasons are a bit selfish. Like this one, you had to look at this one. This one amazes me. Now This this woman writes Tech Support. She says, Dear Tech Support, last year I upgraded from Boyfriend 5.0 to Husband 1.0 and noticed a distinct slowdown in overall system performance, particularly in the flower and jewelry applications, which operated flawlessly under Boyfriend 5.0. In addition, Husband 1.0 uninstalled many other valuable programs, such as Romance 9.5 and Personal Attention 6.5 and then installed undesirable programs like NBA 5.0, NFL 3.0, and golf clubs 4.1. Conversation 8.0 no longer runs, and housekeeping 2.6 simply crashes the system. Please note that I've tried running nagging 5.3 to fix the problems, but to no avail. I mean, what can I do? Signed, desperate. Once you agree with me, it appears that desperate married or selfish reasons. So now the question I think to ask now is: It's important. So what are real reasons? What are good reasons that anyone would want to get married? There. Are. Well, the first one that comes to my mind is intimacy. So we call this companionship. This is everything that Genesis two twenty four talks about. It's having a oneness. It's the one flesh relationship. Scripture makes it clear from Old Testament to New Testament that the best sex, the best intimacy, is again a married man and a married woman. All right. So one example is intimacy. Another one is children. It's children. That if you, no matter what our society says, you just look at it from a perspective of what would be the best way to build a raise, a a son or a daughter would be under the loving guidance of a a mom and a dad. See, that's just what Scripture tells us. Now, there's another reason, though, another reason to get married. But this one kind of, kind of, I didn't really see it. And I think many of us don't, but the Apostle Paul was the one that shows this to us. Open your Bibles today, please, to the letter to the Ephesians, please. Go to Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 3. You don't have a copy of the Bible, Lyle's coming right down the middle. i got people on all sides. So, just raise your hand, please, we'll get you a copy of the Word of God. If you don't own a Bible that's yours to keep, again, if you just want to borrow a Bible, man, just any you walk into our bookcase, get one. You can find Ephesians 5 on page 1176, the love for you. We have several verses we're going to read today. Uh, again, if you've downloaded U-Version, I pray you have. It's one of the best Bible tools ever. Go into U-Version, click the bottom right-hand corner where it says more, and you'll get a tab. It'll populate a tab for you. There a list, and one of them says events. If you tap events, then you'll get my notes and the Scriptures in the order that we present them. Now, it might be slower in this service because we have lots of people logging on at the same time. But again, it's, it's a great, great tool. So. The apostle Paul is the one that writes the letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians is one of Paul's prison letters. Let's show you a map to kind of give you an idea about this. So, Paul is in Rome, Italy. Again, he's in Rome because he's imprisoned for his faith in Jesus Christ. He writes Ephesians, again, all the way. It's these people living in Ephesus. He spent more than three years with them. They're dear to him. They're probably house churches. Timothy is there in Ephesus and leading one of the churches that are there, and so he writes this letter that's going to get to the Ephesian people. And why does he want to do this? He wants to encourage these believers, strengthen. He says he wants you to know that heaven and earth, God is bringing heaven and earth together. He's creating this oneness. We see it in marriage, but we especially see it in the church. That God's doing a new thing through Jesus Christ. He's destroying the walls of hostility. I mean, he's bringing people together that will have been separated far too long, Jew and Gentile, men and women, husbands and wives, fathers, mothers, and children, and slaves and masters. God's doing this new thing through Jesus to reconcile us to have a right relationship with God and people. So Ephesians has six chapters, chapters one through three. Oh, it's amazing. So they talk about the benefits, the blessings that any person who believes and trusts in Jesus Christ that we receive these things, this is just four of them, we are showered with God's kindness if you put your faith in Jesus, marked by the Holy Spirit, marked by us, We are filled with the Holy Spirit's power. We're freed from the curse of sin and death, and we are brought near to God. Every person in the world is a creation of God, but when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you become a new creation, a new creation because of Jesus. So the question again is like, well, what as a new creation, what what should we do? How should we live our lives if we're a new creation believing and trusting in Jesus? Well, Paul tells us that in chapters 4 through 6. He's like very specific. He said, hey, this is what this is all about. You and I, we are to be the light of the Lord. We're to live in the light of the Lord. And this is all seen in relationships. God reconciles us to him, and now he wants us to be reconciled with each other, all right? Let's start it. Ephesians 5, 3 is where I want you to go. We'll make our way through this fifth chapter here. Chapter 5, verse 3, Paul says, but among you, Ephesians, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Wouldn't that make sense? Sexual immorality. sex outside of marriage, impurity, greed, all of those things will push us away from God, and it separates us from people. This is what sin does every time. Drop to verse 8, please. 8 says, for you, Ephesians, were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. And what does please the Lord? Will faithfulness trust, obedience, but unity. It's the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. This is what God's doing, a new thing, you know, bringing heaven and earth together, this great unity that's found in our trust in Jesus, that we can be many and yet be one. Go to verse 21, please. Verse 21. That's like the hinge verse for everything else that's said in all of chapter 5 and most of chapter 6. Verse 21 says, Paul says, "...submit to one another out of reverence for Christ." So that verse right here, verse 21, all the way through chapter 6, verse 9, Paul's giving us this description of a Christian family. It's a Greco-Roman Christian family, like you know, living in the first century. And so he's saying, if you're talking about a Christian household, that's going to include certain people. There'd be a husband and a wife, you know, there'd be a mom, a dad, and 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 their children. Uh, There'd be slaves and masters. And of course, there'd probably be grandma and grandpas and aunts and uncles, but that's the basic idea. And he's saying, Paul says it, he's talking about slaves and masters. And when you and I read that out of the Bible, it should remind you and I that Paul is writing to the Ephesians. He's not writing to us, he's writing to them. Now, is the letter for us? Can we learn from it? Without a doubt. It's scripture. But he's writing to them in their context. He's painting a picture. This is what it's like for a Greco-Roman wife. This is what it's like for a Greco-Roman husband and how they would treat each other. So since the series is about marriage drift, it's called Marriage Drift, why don't we just look at that for a moment? Let's look at this. What does this mean? What would the relationship be for a woman and for a man in the first century? You see, you can't really grasp what's going on now until we go back and see what it says then, all right? So here's the question again, another question on this, again, is how was a wife treated in the first century? How was a wife treated in the first century? And I'm, um, gee, I don't know how else to say this, not good, not good. Now were there exceptions? Yes, there's always exceptions. But most first century wives were not treated very well. Most, most people, most men in particular, uh, saw them as inferior. I mean, they saw them as literal second-class citizens. And again, most, most times, again, they were uneducated. And the reason they were uneducated is because they weren't given the opportunity to be educated. It, it, that's a sad thought, but it just is. Most again, first-century wives, you know, it'd be like you get married, you get pregnant, you give birth to a baby, and you take care of the house. That's really what it would come down to. So again, for them to be described, did their husbands love them? No. They didn't. But did they use them? Did they rule over them? I mean, did they, honestly, did they dominate them, or were they dominated by? Yes. Yes. That's because that's basically the philosophy, the Greco-Roman philosophy in the first century. That's just what they were taught. So now let's go to men. Let's talk about husbands in particular. So, you know, how was it for a husband in the first century? What were they like? Well, again, most of them were tyrants. Were there exceptions? Yes most were tyrants. And the reason, again, is because ever since they were boys, they were taught the Greco-Roman philosophy of how you treat people. You see, if you're the husband, you are the head of the household. And as the head of the household, well, you're going to dominate. You are going to be superior. You have to have a superior attitude. You are superior over wives, children, and slaves. You are. So, there was no such thing as my way or the highway. The highway didn't exist. It was my way. Dominance, this is what I, what I say goes, what I'm telling you to do, you better do. This is how they lived in the first century. Now, let me take, take this to another level, on the, the level of dominance for a husband in the first century. So, you know, in our culture today, in the 21st century, oftentimes babies are not protected in the womb. You understand? They're not. In the first century, babies and children were often not protected outside the womb. Because again, a lot of people, but mostly men, they kind of had this philosophy, this thought. They thought, well, you know what? Children are basically disposable, and many of them, they just considered a nuisance. You're just an utter nuisance. And if you're a nuisance, then this is what we want to do. We just want to get rid of you. We don't want you to be around anymore. So, oftentimes, they would take babies and children, Greco-Roman philosophy, take them out into the woods. They would drop a baby or a toddler off in the woods and leave them to either starve, freeze to death, or for wolves to, to take them away. Can you comprehend that? That that's exactly what would happen. And so, again, I, I do want you to know, Christians, Christians in the first century, started changing the landscape because they wouldn't pick these babies up. They wouldn't took those children and raised them as their own. What Christianity has done is, is astounding. Now, again, the question is, who was the one that came up with the idea of taking these kids out to the woods? It was the husband. It was the husband. Because again, it's my way. This is what we're going to do. I'm superior. You are subpar, subhuman almost. You do what I say. Alright, now I'm going to say something, and I'm going to be try as delicate as I could possibly say this, but for 21st century women, I don't know what goal you have in your life. You're a 21st century woman. If your goal literally is to dominate men, my goal is to put my thumb down on you just like men have put their thumbs down on women over the centuries. Now, you just think about that. If this was a sin in the first century, wouldn't it be a sin in every century? I mean, is that really gonna, any kind of dominance, you're gonna do what I tell you to do, that never fosters great relationships, it never brings people together, it always pushes people apart. I'll tell you something that I experienced, that um, was several years ago, and I was, out, I was out, I had to go get some lunch, so I got some lunch, it's like 2.30 in the afternoon, it was a nice sunny day, and so I decided to pull my car into the giant eagle parking lot, uh, in Westerville, you okay, know where I'm at. So, I'm just in the parking lot, and there's not a lot of cars, but there's some cars there. But I'm away from people. I got my windows down, you know, a little, ra- some uh, the radio's on. I'm listening to music. I'm eating my lunch. And it was a beautiful day, no problem. But then all of a sudden, there's a car that's not near me, but it's a, I can still see it. And all of a sudden, this husband and wife, right? I, I don't know that. It was a man and a woman. And they start coming towards their car. And as they walk towards their car, the man, the husband, starts yelling at his wife, at the woman, okay? He starts yelling at her. I mean, he's just yelling at her. And I don't have any idea what, why, what's going on. This is crazy. And she's holding a coffee cup. You know, there's a, there's a Starbucks in Giant Eagle. She's holding this coffee cup. And I don't know what, I don't know what provoked it, but he walks up to her and just slaps the coffee out of her hand. That is so demeaning. That is so ridiculous. But that's what he did. Then he has, it gets back over towards the driver's side. He's going to get in the car. He's going to get in the car. She's not moving. She is not moving at all. And so, as he's getting into the car, he says this, get into the car. And she does. And they drive away. Now everything about that that I just said, everything about that is what God does not want. He does not want relationships based off fear. And rage, and manipulation, and domination. He doesn't want any of that. You know, what kind of relationship does God want us? He wants us to have this amazing relationship that we see through Jesus. He wants us to treat other people the way Jesus treats us. And the way Jesus treats us is this amazing thing. It's about love and respect and mutual submission. This is what Jesus does for us. I, I, I find it absolutely amazing. I need you to go back to verse 21, please. Go to 21 again in chapter 5. And again, this is truly a hinge verse for all the rest of it. So, verse 21 again says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The word submit means to yield to another person. Yield to another person. So, th- this is it. So, uh, and so, we are to yield to another person because Jesus submitted, yielded to his Father. Remember, Jesus submitted to his Father's will. Jesus went to the cross even though he knew the cross would kill him. He submitted to his Father. That is radical submission and sacrifice. And so, our reverence in awe of Jesus leads us to see all relationships through the lens of love, respect, and mutual submission, especially in the relationship between a husband and a wife. I said something last week, and I think I need to clarify what I said. Alright, so last week I gave you these Scripture quotes, these statements, and here was one of them. This one again is, husbands love unconditionally Wives respect unconditionally. But I need to say this. How is that even remotely possible without Jesus Christ? You can't do that without Jesus Christ. You can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You just can't. You can't muster up enough willpower, the desire to do it. You have to have the Spirit of God in you to do what the Scripture says. So now I think the better statement, the better statement is this. Christian husbands love unconditionally. Christian wives respect unconditionally. Because when you've got this mutual submission going on, you're submitting to Jesus, and now you're able to do that towards each other. Oh, I'm telling you what, this is amazing. Husbands in particular, if you would love your wives with such a sacrificial devotion, I mean, a true sacrificial devotion, I I cannot begin to tell you what that will do in in your relationship. As a matter of fact, again, please understand, everything that's said now makes sense. Go to verse 25. Verse 25, look at what Paul says. Everything based off verse 21. Paul says in verse 25, he's talking to first century husbands, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way husbands ought to love their wives, that's twice now, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife three times loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. He says, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's Genesis 2.24. It's this mystery of two people can become one. A whole church can be many, but yet be one. He says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you husbands must also love his wife. Four times in nine verses, Paul tells first century men, you need to love your wife. What? That's crazy talk. You're out of your mind. What did he just tell me that we're supposed to do? You want me to love her? In other words, you want me to treat her as an equal? Yes. Treat her like the way Jesus treated her. Again, Jesus and the apostle Paul always elevated the status of women. This is amazing. This is the way that it was always meant to be, and husbands, if I can say husbands, if you and I, again, if you would truly love your wife, I mean love her again and again, sacrifice for her, look out for her. If you'd be more of a giver than a taker, I'm telling you what, you might end up with a relationship, a relationship in your marriage that you will never ever want to forget. Um, I, per- I-, I thought that this Super Bowl commercial was extra special. Google, show me photos of me and Loretta. (laughs) Remember, Loretta hated my mustache. (laughs) Remember, Loretta loved going to Alaska and scallops. Show me photos from our anniversary. Remember, she always snorted when she laughed. Play our favorite movie. The luckiest man in the world. Come on, boy. I don't think any married couple will ever say, Oh my goodness, marriage is easy. No one is ever going to say it because it's not. But that doesn't mean it can't be good. I mean, really good. Loving, caring, honoring God, caring for each other. It's like Go to verse 22. Verse 21 helps us to understand why Paul said this. Verse 22 now, he's speaking to wives, first century wives. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now there's a caveat to that one passage right there. It's about a Christian husband and a Christian wife. It's about a Christian man who is totally and completely dedicated to Jesus. I mean, I love God. We love I love God. You want to follow God because you're thinking a first century woman's hearing these words. You want me to submit to my you want me to submit to a man who thinks I'm inferior? See, not if he's a Christ follower. If he's a Christ follower, it's totally changed. He doesn't think that way anymore. He looks at his wife, and she is like amazing, special. I, I think i got to say something here. Do you remember the woman with the, uh, in the parking lot got the coffee smacked out of her hand? So it's like, is that woman supposed to s- s- submit to her husband? No! No! You know why not? It's because you don't submit to someone who's disobeying Jesus. You don't, you don't submit to someone who's just you know, is committing a crime. You don't submit to someone who's abusing someone. You get out, and you get help. This is what Scripture tells us. It's between a Christian man and a Christian woman. People really, truly love each other in this world. This is what Paul's saying. This is what creates a dynamic in a relationship, because there's mutual love, mutual respect, mutual submission, all because of our devotion to Jesus Christ. I love, I love Dr. N.T. Wright. Tom Wright has a perspective on things from theology. He told this, which really helped me. He said, pretend He said again think about the life-changing aspects of being a christ follower that if you and i really love jesus the way that we should love jesus it will totally change any relationship he says you're driving your car down some uh neighborhood you've got houses to the you know to the right and houses to the left you know and they're all they're all he says but most of these houses like literally most of these houses are just dysfunctional they're dysfunctional i mean the husband is a tyrant And he's not kind at all. He's not nice. He's totally engrossed in his own work and his job and his own life. And the wife is completely disrespectful. And she's totally checked out of the marriage. And she doesn't want to be there. And he could care less about her. And she could care less about him. I mean, this is what's going on for the most part. Now, this is what's happening. He said, but there's this one house on the block, one house. And it's like literally the sun shines on this house. Because the husband loves his wife so much loves her, cares for her, it just, just deeply appreciates And the wife, she just cares so much about her husband, loves him, respects him. And, you want, and the fact is, is that everyone on the block can see it. Everyone sees what's happening, and everyone wants what they have. That's what can happen in any relationship, any marriage. The thing is, is that God wants to do a new thing. He wants to do a new thing. He wants to bring us together. And he wants that to happen specifically in any marriage. I mean, he does. Can I ask you honestly, would you just think through this? Have you become a spider spouse? Always taking, rarely giving. And if you change that, and now find yourself submitting to Jesus like he did to his father, look at what could happen in your relationship. Remember I told you there are good reasons why we ought to get married, intimacy, children? Here's the reason the Apostle Paul says, I find this fascinating. Paul says this, we're going to turn to Ephesians 4.32 in a minute, but he says this, here's another reason why a person gets married. Because marriage helps us identify our greatest need, it's to learn how to love. It is astounding. All right. Go, go to Ephesians 4, the last verse in Ephesians, please, chapter 4, and the first two verses in chapter 5, Paul says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Wouldn't you want that in your marriage? in any relationship. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, which is why we take communion every single week, because we want to remember the the relationship, what the sacrifice that Jesus had for us. Now think about this, about love, there's no greater place to learn how to love than, than in marriage. And there's no greater way to learn how to love than in a family. You talk about love is patient. Tell me, do you learn patience in a marriage? Do you learn patience in a family? You know, Love is kindness. Do you ever learn kindness in a marriage? Do you learn kindness in a marriage? It's just true. It's the greatest grounds for being able to learn how to do this. This is where you and I learn about agape love, agape God-honoring love. I thought this was the second best Super Bowl commercial. The ancient Greeks had four words for love. The first is philia. Philia is affection that grows from friendship. Next, there's storge, the kind you have for a grandparent or a brother. Third, there's eros, the uncontrollable urge to say, I love you. The fourth kind of love is different. It's the most admirable. It's called agape. Love as an action. Good. It takes courage, sacrifice, strength. For 175 years, we've been helping people act on their love so they can look back or look ahead and say, we got it right. We did good. Agape is the greatest way to love because it's the way that God showed His love to us. He did. Uh, I saw this picture, which was so compelling to me. So if you talk about it, again, this picture right here on the left is this couple getting married. Again, she's, you know, they're eating the cake together. And this is the very same couple 50 years later, and she's feeding him. And and this is, again, this is love. This is the love that God talks about. Is it easy? It's not easy. It's simple. Does it honor? God, does it bring people together? It does. And this is the relationship that God wants for us. And so, I'm I'm just, for all of us here today, what is the Holy Spirit of God pressing in on you right now about sacrificial love, especially when it comes to your spouse? But let's just say any relationship. You and I, I'd ask you to pray right now, God, give me the strength to love people the way your son loved you. And again, you can't do that without the Spirit's power. So, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm asking you now, if you, if you could come down right now, put your faith and trust in Jesus, be baptized into Christ, and receive the Spirit of God in your life, so that you and I can have love, mutual love, respect, and submission. It's unbelievable what it does in relationships. I have, uh, this is one of 26 prayer cards, and this woman is asking us to pray for her friend. And her friend is going through all kinds of struggles and issues and problems, relationships stuff, all this, you know, all of it that you and I get. And so, right now, her friend is believing that God does not care for her or love her. It's not true. We know it's not because God loves us so much He gave up His Son. We know it's not true because Jesus gave up His only life. I need someone to come pray for her. It's like, again, and I have 25 other cards. And they're all about relationships with people. They are. Are you hurting in some relationship? You chose to be vulnerable to a person and it's just hurting you. It's go before God. Call upon God in your life. And and, and ask Him to help you to love people the way Jesus did. Would you come now? Come forward. I need people to come pray right now.